Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. Thanks to our sponsor this week, Amawa, me, author extraordinaire. I'm here in the studio, as always, with my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hi, Matt. How was your vacation? It was so good. Nobody cares, Barry. Good to be back. Good to be back. We got a lot of good shit on today's episode, so let's get into it. We're going to start off, as always, with Worst Things First, the most fucked up news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into cake political cake (gasps) and then joe kim booster comedian writer fellow chicagoan joins us for an interview and a good old game what we like to call who do you hate more or something like that we'll see so let's do it let's get into it let's motherfucking go All right, worst things first, let's scream about the news. And boy, oh boy, do I need to scream! First up, fucking sports and shit. Because guess what? Now I have to watch football, I guess. Except I'm not going to. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) So if you blissfully have not been on Twitter or watched the news, and you live in a world where everything is not terrible because you're ignoring it, Let me give you a brief debrief, brief, brief on the news. So Colin Kaepernick, whose name, along with all the other sports people, I would never have to know if the world weren't fucked, started kneeling back when Barack Obama was president 
He said in an interview recently that originally he started sitting during the national anthem as a form of protest, but after he talked to veterans, they told him that it was more respectful to them to protest by kneeling during the anthem if he was going to protest. So for all the assholes out there who are complaining about how it's disrespectful to the troops or whatever fucking clown argument you think of to keep yourself up at night, this is not about Donald Trump. It's not about disrespecting the flag. This is about police brutality. It's about racial injustice. Colin Kaepernick, the guy who started all of this shit, explains this outright. Stop pretending like you give a shit about the fucking national anthem. Name three of her songs. (laughs) So it's back in the news because Donald Trump decided during a rally in Alabama to just randomly call players who are kneeling sons of bitches out of nowhere. And I love that every time you hear the story on like CNN or the radio, they have to say, warning, if your children are in the room, they should go, they should leave before we play this message by the president of the United States. I think that the point is he doesn't know how to be president. He doesn't know what he's doing. The only thing he knows how to do is pick fights with people and then think that people are going to side with him because of how excited he gets about it. So it would be a great idea if he fucking stopped talking about the NFL and talked about, I don't know, Puerto Rico that is devastated by the hurricane or the fact that Kim Jong-un is about to murder all of us. Yeah, it's fine if he doesn't talk about Kim Jong-un on Twitter, though. I'm, like, totally fine with <laughs> That's that. True. That's true. <laughs> Shut the fuck up about sports and do your goddamn job. Next, at least six White House advisors have been using private email accounts. I'm so sick of hearing about people's fucking emails. My favorite curse marionette, uh, Jared Kushner, Ivanka, Reince Priebus, who used to be chief of staff, and now, I don't know, cleans chimneys. Who else? A couple other racists. Also, we're using private emails. Which is dumb. I don't give a shit. But it's the fact that we fucking heard about Hillary's emails for five fucking years. Hypocrites. Hypocrites! You fucking clown! (laughs) I knew that was going to make it in here. (laughs) Anyway, uh, enough about your goddamn emails. I don't give a shit. Speaking of people who are digitally inept, Anthony Weiner. Disgraced congressman, almost mayor of New York, a boil on the curvy thigh of Hillary Clinton. And Huma. And Huma. Anthony Weiner sentenced to 21 months in prison. I'm sure he'll do great in there. They always love they always love a good uh sexual predator in prison. Oh god. He officially went to prison for for sexting with a 15-year-old girl. And then it's during his sentencing trial a bunch of people, you know, you have like friends and family who write letters to the court saying like please go soft on him. He's our loved one. And fucking Huma wrote a letter. I just think of that scene. If you watched the documentary, there's it should still be on Netflix about Anthony Weiner. And there's an amazing scene where he's getting in some new shit and Huma's just sitting on the patio, like, smoking a cigarette, eating, <laughs> eating a giant slice of pizza. Just like, I'm done with this shit. Same. Same. Next! Rapper B.O.B., 
has started a GoFundMe campaign to prove that the Earth is flat. He's only asking for $200,000. That's reasonable. So that he can send multiple satellites up into space to prove that the Earth is actually not round. I have not been following this story at all. Had no idea that it had been <laughs> ongoing. He has this feud with Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> wrote a diss track about Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> in which he dropped this line, Neil Tyson need to loosen up his vest. They'll probably write that man one hell of a check. That, I assume he means, is that the government is paying Neil deGrasse Tyson... <laughs> <laughs> to continue uh, espousing the false view that the Earth is round when, in fact, it's flat. Like, I understand people, <laughs> for going down this rabbit hole, I understand people who would argue that, like, the moon landing was fake. Because that was back yeah. when, like, we were, you know, Feuding racing the, yeah, the Soviets. Yeah. It's like, okay, I would understand wanting to fake that to prove we were the first ones there. Also, I feel like NASA... It costs like billions of dollars. It costs way more than $200,000 to send a couple satellites in space. <laughs> Maybe he just has like student loan debt and needs to pay it and this is how he's paying it. Interestingly, uh, B.O.B. came to Northwestern when I was there. So part of my student loan debt <laughs> it was went to fucking paying B.O.B. Full, full circle, unlike the earth. According to B.O.B., which yeah. it's flat. Give me back my money, B.O.B. Next! Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. tried to bump Tiffany from their inheritance. <laughs> Poor Tiffany. <laughs> Poor Tiffany. <laughs> the weird thing about this, this was part of uh, many revelations, I guess you would call them, from tapes. I don't know who dug them up. Someone dug them all up. It was all of Donald Trump's appearances on the Howard Stern show, and they just went through them and found the most salacious things. But one of them was Donald Trump admitting to Howard Stern, who asked when Tiffany was born, did Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. try to bump her off? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> he just admitted to it. Next! Some piece of shit kid in London was like, how can I prove to everybody that I'm a piece of shit? And he went literal with it and just got his fucking head stuck in a porta potty seat <laughs> right in the middle of the store oh, where they sell them. <laughs> um, I, I just love the text of this story because it, it's so matter of fact. <laughs> it was at a store. It was at a store called Asda, A-S-D-A, in London. And he was wearing it, the seat like a hat. It's one of those seats that go like on top of a toilet so okay. that a kid can sit on it. Uh -huh. And he was wearing it like a hat. And then his mom was like, I turned around for one second to look at the other piece of shit kid. And when I turned back around, it was around <laughs> his neck. <laughs> and then, yeah. They started trying to take it off of him, and some staff member at the store ran to get butter, and they just smeared his face, <laughs> the ears and neck with butter. But they said he started becoming belligerent, so they gave him a cookie, which I, that is the most <laughs> offensive thing to me about the story, is that this kid did something wrong, and that he was rewarded. Congrats, now you're savory, and you get a sweet. <laughs> um, next up... Real-life Jon Snow is marrying real-life Egret. And I'm furious because Jon Snow 
is mine. Honestly, if I can't have Jon Snow, I would prefer that his ass is just preserved somewhere in, like, the ice. So that millions of years from now, some gay archaeologist can dig him up and just go to town. (laughs) Picture that. I knew that they were living together. I didn't know that they were married. Yeah, it's very Mm hush-hush. They've been... They've only been seen together in public, like, once. They're like fucking snow leopards. (laughs) John Snow Leopards. Anyway, fuck her. (laughs) And that's worse things first. I hope you all lost your voices screaming. I didn't because I'm a professional with flawless vocal cords. And also because we do multiple takes of every sentence I utter. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome for my talent. Next, we got a little deep dive for you, featuring cake of the food kind. Gaze, batter, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. dive. All right, for today's deep dive, I wanted to spend a little more time with a story that combines two of my favorite things, being gay and cake. But also it features one of my not favorite things, discrimination. Anyway, we're talking about cake, not ass. Although we eat our fair share of both. Honestly, if I had known that being gay would involve so much cake eating, I would have come out years earlier. (laughs) And I'm not just talking about the ass kind. (laughs) I'm talking about actual cake, people. Not cake as in booty hole. Does it refer to the whole booty? Or the booty hole? (sighs) Also, I preemptively ordered cake in anticipation of the story, so you will hear most of today's deep dive through my cakey breath. Should I take a big bite? Let's take a bite. Big moist bite of chocolate malt cake. Mm. Listen to that moist cake. So let's talk about this shit. All right, so let's cover the basics. Let's just walk through this case. There's a guy in Colorado named Jack Phillips. Jack runs a cake shop. Um, He refers to his creations as, quote, more than just cake. It's a piece of art in so many ways. So this all started five years ago when a gay couple named David Mullins and Charlie Craig, Craig. Craig? Craig. Craig. I say Craig. Charlie C. walked into a strip mall bakery. They walked into Jack's strip mall bakery. That's not an insult. It is in a strip mall. And they were like, we want a cake. They brought this whole binder full of all of their ideas. And Charlie C. brought his mom. And then Jack looked them right in the face and was like, nuh-uh, girlfriend. Not, I'm not dealing with your sin today. And he wasn't talking about their cardigans. Uh, he claims that he said, I'll make you anything you want. Birthday cake, shower cakes, cookies, brownies. I just can't make a cake for a same-sex wedding. <sighs> cake break. Okay, so, so you got Jack on one side, David and Charlie on the other side. 
David and Charlie and Charlie's mom were like, how dare you, sir? You take your discrimination elsewhere. That's what they said, except they didn't. They were like, he was like, you have to go somewhere else to get your fucking wedding cake, you pieces of shit. And, which is wrong, with a capital at the end. So anyway, Jack was like, because my faith, I believe that the Bible says it's marriages between man and a woman, blah, blah, blah. He said that someone asking him to make him a wedding cake, quote, causes me to use the talents that I have to create an artistic expression that violates that faith. Artistic expression? Who the fuck do you think you are? Cake boss? Point me to the part of the Bible that has the wedding cake recipe in it, Jack. Oh, you can't? Well, it's in the index. Right next to the recipe for how to turn your fish into like a thousand fishes. So long story short, David and Charlie, the gay couple, sued Jack. They went to the like Colorado civil rights group and sued him through them. And... They were like, yeah, you can't fucking do that. It's just discrimination. It's now gone up the courts. His argument is that he's being forced to express views that he doesn't believe in by making a cake. And that a cake as the centerpiece of the marriage. This was actually a sentence that they said. That the cake is the centerpiece of the ceremony. I need more cake. Mm. If you've ever been to a wedding, cake is like the last thing that anybody is really thinking about. I mean, I Hard think about disagree. it. Normally, it's just like on a fucking table somewhere. Yeah. And it's, it never tastes good. Wedding cake is always it's bad. It's always bad. And then they think it's cute to like shove it in one another's faces. Yeah. No, you trash. You just paid so much money to have your face all made up. Yeah. Now there's fucking frosting on it. Wait until later. That's when you can, you can frost your lips all you want. On that, on that dick. Yeah, I just can't get over the fact that this man thinks he's Picasso because he mixes eggs and flour and turns on an oven. Congratulations. It went up through the courts every, every step of the way. Jack has lost. The Court of Appeals was like, your free speech is fine, you dumbass. Uh, and here's the crux. They pointed this out. They didn't even talk about the cake's design before he shut them down and said, no, I won't make your cake. He was just like, oh, you're gay? Not making your wedding cake. So now the Supreme Court has just agreed earlier this year that they are going to hear this case at the Supreme Court level, which is concerning, A, because they have to believe that it's a worthwhile question to even say that they're going to hear it. Um which is, I think, at least four judges have to agree to hear it. So if this case were to succeed, or or Jack, the cake boss, were to succeed, it would set a precedent that it is okay for business owners to discriminate against whoever they want to discriminate against if they don't, if they don't believe in it. Now, here's where it gets extra fun. So now we have to hear about this shit for the next fucking months to come uh jack he's 61 ew i touched the cake (laughs) (laughs) so jack he's 61 um 
the New York Times just ran a piece in last week's weekend paper about this dude and his travails. They were like, he grew emotional talking about the case. Quote, I have no problem serving anybody, gay, straight, Muslim, Hindu. Everybody that comes in my door is welcome here. And any of the products I normally sell, I'm glad to sell to anybody. Then make the fucking cake, you crazy ass. Don't you normally sell wedding cakes? No, that's the thing. He stopped serving wedding cakes altogether. He was like, fine, I won't make them for anybody. If you're going to force me to make them for your gay wedding, I won't make them at all. The good news is, according to Newsweek, he's said that he's lost about 40% of his business, as well as members of his staff, over, over his decision not to bake wedding cakes for gay people. Good. So here's where it gets especially fucked for everybody who is like, Donald Trump loves gay people. At the beginning of September, the Trump administration sided with the fucking baker, Jack. The Trump administration, via the Department of Justice, filed a brief on behalf of the baker, otherwise known as a friend of the court or some shit like that, where they essentially say, hey, we support this person's side. Which it just, every time shit like this happens, I just think about the people who are up in my Twitter mentions saying, Donald Trump is going to be better for gay people than Hillary ever would have. Because remember that time he held up a rainbow flag upside down? And also he said LGBTQ during the Republican convention, like he was ordering a sandwich. And also had one gay person speak at his convention, and, and everyone thinks he's a fucking trailblazer. Remember what else he did? He announced that he would ban transgender people from the military. The Department of Education rescinded uh, guidance for schools on how to accommodate transgender students. They also have taken a stance uh, that gay workers are not entitled to job protections under federal anti-discrimination laws. So in other words, you are at risk of getting fired from your job. Or if someone were to fire you from your job just for being trans or gay or bi or whatever, that it's perfectly legal just to fire you. You have no legal recourse to come back from that. That's all because Donald Trump is president, you fucking assholes. What makes me especially angry is all of the dumb arguments that people, I feel like I see people on my own Facebook who have no investment in this at all. It's not because they're Christian or whatever. They just like to play devil's advocate because it doesn't fucking affect them. And people are like, but you can just go and get a cake somewhere else. A, sure, you can. That's what they did, David and Charlie. They literally went right somewhere else and got a cake immediately. That's not the fucking point. A, you shouldn't have to feel like less than a human being because some jackass who thinks he's an artist won't make you a fucking cake. Um, B, not everybody has that option. There are people who live in places, small towns. Maybe you only have one bakery to get your cake at. I also hate it when people play the devil's argument case where they're like, well, what happens if someone came, what happens if you were a baker and someone came in and was like, I want a cake that says, I hate gay people on it. I guess you'd have to make it for them. No, you wouldn't. And that's not what this is about because they weren't saying to write, I love gay people fucking and getting married. He 
denied them their wedding cake before he even knew what they wanted on it. So it's not about that already. Yeah, the point is, ultimately, they were denied because of who they were, not because of what the cake was saying. A cake is a fucking cake. What would your wedding cake look like, Matt? My wedding cake would have me and Harry Styles in little figurines, and my dress would be the whole cake. Oh. Like those Barbie cakes that they used to have. Mm -hmm. And then he would just kind of be dangling along. Living in my shadow, like how we live in life. Yeah. One thing's for goddamn sure, Jack won't be anywhere near my wedding. Uninvited, preemptively. And I hope his fucking cake shop goes out of business. I just want to be able to shove my face into a cake without feeling judged by God or human. Now I'm going to go finish this fucking cake because that's all I have. And that's our deep dive this week. Next up, we got Joel Kim Booster here for an interview in a game right after this commercial break. Today's episode of Unhappy Hour is brought to you by me, motherfuckers. I paid myself. I give myself a little treat every day. Masturbation. That's right. Beautiful, hilarious me. Because I wrote a fucking book, a whole book, and you better believe I'm going to advertise that shit. Because you better buy it. And you better pre-order it right now. You can pre-order it at everythingisawfulbook.com. And I'm going on tour. I'm going to like a thousand cities. All in America. Sorry, everyone else. I'm touring around this nation from sea to shining sea. And you can come see me read out loud like your third grade teacher, but more drunk and with fewer math equations. So make sure you check out everythingisawfulbook.com to pre-order your book. You can check out all of the dates of my tour and buy your tickets to come see me live. Also, fans of this podcast who live in or around New York City can come check out our very special live show. It's an unhappy hour, everything is awful, live show, book party, special extravaganza on October 25th. You can get your tickets at The Green Space. Just Google it. See you soon. We are here with comedian Joel Kim Booster. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so I'm so sorry. Again, I was late. I'm, I feel like I have a frenetic energy because I was late and it's my it's least favorite thing in the world. Totally fucked up now. <laughs> um, I, you know, we like people being in like a bad mood so yeah. that you get, get all of your anger out. So that's good. Uh, we like to start asking everybody what is one thing you hate that everybody else okay. loves? You have no idea what turmoil this question threw me into. (laughs) They prepped me for this. They gave me this question like a couple weeks ago. And here's the thing, like my general MO, my vibe is that like I love trash. I love, I love most things that other people hate. Yeah. Um, Okay. And so I think the original Beauty and the Beast is trash compared to the live action Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I think compared you you had me until compared yeah, to the Yeah. Well, no, and that is actually a very important piece cuz I got very stoned and went on an airplane recently, flew in the skies. Uh maybe this is 
altitude sickness. I don't know. But I watched them back to back on the plane because I was I was full. I didn't I'd never seen the live action. I was sort of resistant to it when it came out, mostly because of those clips of Emma Watson where she sounds like a Casio keyboard. It's yeah. like a full on <laughs> yeah. computer. And I God love her. I mean, she's a genius, but yeah, should not be singing. No, you know, it's, no. it's can you imagine? You know, she was supposed to be in La La Land. Like that was, she was one of the original no. kids to be in La La Land. And what a, a lateral move that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all that being said, I watched them back to back. And I have to say, I don't, I think musically, the, the original Beauty and the Beast is untouchable. It's, it right, is great. Right. But it's a badly written story. I think it's a badly written story. I think Belle is such bullshit in the cartoon. I think she's so thinly sketched. And I think that the live action movie improved on so many story points that the cartoon dropped the ball on. A, I'll start there. Belle, I think Belle as a character in the cartoon, like, why are we supposed to be rooting for this person? Because she reads? Like, <laughs> right. I, it, she's And hates so, everybody around her? I can continuously ring this bell about bell in the cartoon is that she's like i want so much more than this provincial life like that is her mission statement and she fucking marries a rich dude two miles away from the town it's (laughs) like okay we see you i need to go back i'll 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 revisit watch it again it just there's some just some goofy ass shit that they do in the cartoon that like doesn't make sense and like doesn't add to the story it felt like I w- the cartoon was the first draft and I said I had notes and then, <laughs> then the live action that. movie was like them reacting to my notes that I had internally yeah. watching the cartoon and I was right. very pleased with that let's move on to you um, you grew up in Chicago, right? Um, well, or outside I am, of Chicago? Yeah, no, I, I take after a long line of suburban kids from Chicago by saying I'm from Chicago. Me too. But I also grew up in the suburbs, so. you. How long have you lived in New York, if you, if you want to admit to living here? I, yeah, I live in New York now. I, the, I'm coming up on my fourth anniversary, which nice. is wild because it feels alternatively much longer and much shorter. Yeah. Was there like a, I need to get out of Chicago moment? Well, okay. So after college, I moved to the city proper or downtown as every right. suburban I in Chicago refers to. And it's down the from entire nothing. city. Yeah. The entire city of Chicago is just downtown. Right. Uh, if you grew up in the suburbs. And I, I moved there after college and I lived there for almost four years and I loved it. I love the city of Chicago. I have a deep, un- like, abiding love for it. Um, but for me, it was all—it was mostly professional. I think I—I yeah. I sort of Chicago was it. Those years that I spent in Chicago were for me like sort of figuring out what I wanted to do. It's a, artistically a very supportive community. Uh, lots of failing going on. Me yeah. per, by me personally, I'm not saying the oh. city of Chicago. <laughs> I yeah, agree. Uh, actually, I there like, is a lot of failing yeah. going on because there's a lot of experimentation, and because people yeah. I think feel sort of free to be like, oh, you know what? I don't know if this is working or if anyone will want to see this, but we're going to do it. And yeah, we're going to be passionate about it. And like, and that was me and figuring out like theater. I am a theater practitioner. That's how I came into it, and uh, I was doing a lot of acting and writing and collaborating. Yeah. Uh, in the theater scene, I still think Chicago is a better theater city uh just in general than new york but um and i but then slowly the more money i made acting in chicago the less interesting the roles became which is sort of uh endemic of the world at large i think for asian american people um and so i got very frustrated with that and i 
started doing stand-up on the side as just sort of a way as an outlet to because I wasn't seeing myself represented in any of these roles Mm -hmm. uh even a little bit and so I felt like oh well I I can write so let's just try this a little bit and I also I mean for me I think one of the goals has always been to write for television and and be able to tell my own story and I looked at people like Mindy Kaling and Aziz Ansari and and they sort of didn't wait around for people to write roles that represented them. They mm-hmm. they sort of got in there and did it themselves. And and stand up, uh, at least for Aziz, was like one of his ways of doing that. And so I really admired that about him. And comedy never felt like something that was for me. Right. Um, but I started doing it anyways, and I really fell in love with it. I mean, it was, I was miserable for like the first two years, but uh, I'm so happy I, I came. Yeah, that's the New York story. Exactly. It's just, I mean, some people, you're just miserable forever. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I actually, I feel very blessed that I was only miserable for those first uh, year and a half, two years. Yeah. So I think I'm very lucky that I uh, made it where I am now. Right. Um, so soon. So your comedy focuses a lot on like your upbringing. And so you're Midwestern. You're adopted mm-hmm. by a Christian couple. Yes. Christian, <laughs> very evangelical. White homeschooled. Family. Yes. Homeschooled. Um, the whole nine years. How does that sort of color your comedy, I guess? I mean, all of our, the way we were brought up and the way we interacted in the world as children and as young adults sort of informs any sort of art you do, I think, no matter what medium it is. And for me, it's just sort of moving through the world as never feeling quite um, right. Yeah. Is, is sort of how I, um, uh, how, how my sort of comedic in for everything. I'm just always sort of feeling a little bit sort of outside of my comfort zone because I'm never, you know, if around Asian people, you know, I've had Asian people tell me I'm not really Asian because I don't know this, that, or other things, cultural right. ties, things like that. I don't, you know, experience that. And then in the gay community too, I, I don't know if I have to tell you this, but we can be quite racist. Um, <laughs> no. Especially towards uh, not necessarily mask presenting Asian men too, I think. Yeah. Is, we, we, we get the short shrift many times. And so I've always felt a little bit, you know, uh, and then, you know, I was homeschooled until I was 16. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. I was a junior in high school when they sent me to to public school. And I mean, I thought I had uh, socialization down and how to act like a normal human person for many years. And it wasn't until I was probably a junior in college that I realized, oh, <laughs> I there's so much I missed about yeah. just like interacting in the world with other people. Um, and so I think my discomfort um, it sort of drives a lot of my comedy. That's your, I always say like every comedian has their like tragic origin story. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> like, you know, we're superheroes. You just have to, you know, mine your tragedy. I'm just calling your life a tragedy. I've just decided <laughs> <laughs> your life is a tragedy. Yeah, I, I uh, can get on board with that. Do you feel like you have to put your sexuality into comedy? I, I always feel like comedians you know, you get on stage, you, you feel like, you know, you talk about your experiences. Yeah. Uh, but is it, it's, do you feel an obligation? Do you feel like, I don't feel obligated by any means, but my, all my comedy, you know, it's fairly standard stuff it's f- structurally in terms of like mm-hmm. this new, this sort of current era of, of standup comedy that we're living in that, you know, Louis CK sort of ushered in and it's all mostly, you know, autobiographical like this happened to be the other day. Let me tell you about it. Um, and, <laughs> and the thing Louis is, is it's, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> SNL, are you listening? Um, I think like 
It is so funny because I do, I was told much earlier in my career and not so much now, I think, but a lot of people were like, you can't, uh, you know, you got to give us something other than gay jokes. And it's like, what makes this joke gay? And is it because like, it's unfair. It's sort of universal experiences too. I I don't know. It's frustrating. And I used to get very um, uh, worried when people would be like, he's a gay comedian. And I would get mad about that. And I'm sort of coming to this place. And I think it's because I don't know, now that I'm a successful comedian more than <laughs> yeah. a gay comedian, is that um, if that helps people find me, because I because I know I'm a good comedian. I'm, I have, I'm not self-conscious about that at all. I'm very confident in my own abilities as a comedian. If you want to say, like, this is what a gay comedian looks like, then fuck yeah, I'm a gay comedian. Yeah. We're good comedians. Let's talk about you're developing a show, right, with Fox. Yes. Um, so uh, a little bit of news. I'm not actually sure how much I'm allowed to say. It's not at Fox. It is now at a cable network. Okay. Um, a, a great cable network that I am very happy to be working with uh, now. Uh, no, it, Fox was very gracious enough to let us go after. And they didn't, it was, with Fox, it was less of an issue of they didn't want to pick it up. And it was more of a, we cannot do this now, but we would love to hold on to this for a while and when we have room for it because we don't want to just like out and out say no. And I said, I am so old. <laughs> and I just don't have the time to wait for that eventuality to yeah. come. So t- just tell us about the the show. Like, what's the idea? Um, the sh- the working title of it is called Birthright. I don't think it will stick because it is a confusing title. I I think it made a lot of sense to me when I wrote the initial pilot script, but I get why people would be confused. A mm-hmm. birth a branding issue is is yeah. a problem there. Um, but it is basically about a gay Korean adoptee who grew up in the Midwest with a very evangelical family, all sounding very familiar at this point, uh, who after college his, his like right after college his parents find out that he is gay and they give him a choice of of remaining at home uh, and going to a conversion therapy as camp that I created or moving and he says I will go to Korea and reconnect with my birth family uh, and that's his solution and then he finds out his parents lied to him and his birth parents uh, his birth mother is a third generation Korean American woman living in Maine and she's sort of like white trash or the equivalent of that in this Maine town and not is sort of a disaster and so he goes there and it is a it's a sort of half fish out of water um, you know half Gilmore Girls sort of situation of their hijinks um, sort of getting to know one another and trying to make that relationship work. I don't Maybe this is just my like naivete about how a, a writing rooms operate like logistically. Is it weird because this is so personal to have other writers? N- no. Uh, I mean, there are there are certain there are certainly personal aspects to the character, but I very intentionally sort of because this script was never supposed to be sold. This was a writing sample that I had written. And my reps, I sort of like went, I was like, they're like, we need you to do a writing sample, like a narrative writing sample, because I had written plays in the past, but never a television script. And so I, uh, for staffing season, I wrote the script and I kept going back to them. I was like, this is crazy. Like, I can't make this character gay, Asian, and adopted. Like, that feels like a lot. And they're like, listen, we're never going to sell this thing. So just write <laughs> just go whatever you fucking want to write. Like, whatever feels natural to you and whatever feels real to you like just write it and it's just for a sample it's just an audition to get you staffed on someone else's show and so I wrote like what the show I wanted to write which is um, there's another aspect to this town in Maine where it's hard to explain but basically this town is populated by Asian people Korean people because I wanted to write a show that 
didn't, the comedic hinge did not need to be like, and I think this exists in a lot of comedy. I'm going to say Orange is the New Black is an example, and I love that show, and I think this form of comedy works really well for that show. I just think it happens too much is that the comedy of look at this white person being racist to this person of color and you, the audience know they're being racist and that's why it's funny. And like, I just didn't want to write a show where I had to constantly have white people being awful to an Asian character or or treating him in the ways that I'm treated in my day to day life, because I just wanted to write a show where I got to be a human being and experience like hijinks in a way that didn't have to be racialized at all. We're playing, we'll play a quick uh, kind of rapid fire game. We call it, who do you hate more? It's a very, very (laughs) inventive title. (laughs) Um, so we're going to do some either ors here. Um, who do you hate more, or or I guess which do you hate more, Adam Levine's singing voice or Adam Levine's personality on the voice? Oh, this is tough for me because I are, are you an Adam Levine stan? I in unfortunately, <laughs> I kind of am, and I'm also so I should say this too. I've been in a voice fantasy league since season two. I've watched every single season. Emmy award winning The Voice. I know my Louis Vertel on Twitter said something so funny about this. He said when she was giving her speech for the the producer was giving the speech for The Voice. He's like she would have loved to shout out the the latest winner of The Voice, but she couldn't remember. And it's like who can? You don't watch The Voice for the winners. You watch The Voice for the blinds and the judges and the witty banter between Blake and Adam. And I, I like you can tell he cares and he's charming and. I guess, but I will say, I guess his voice. I when I think of Adam Levine, for some reason, the only image that comes to my head is this. There's one where there's like a he's naked. Yes, and with the hand. A woman behind him grabbing yes. his junk. Oh my god, that was my phone background for a while. It's um, so weird, and I've seen that image recreated to, to, to detrimental results. Oh, yeah. Where there's just like a wrinkly hand. You kind of have to like, look like Adam Levine. To yeah, you can't just ask your mom to like. <laughs> Take this picture. It's so upsetting. Anyway. um, Okay. You have to cast an actress for a dramatic role, but she has to be able to to deliver a joke. Mm. Do you cast Sarah Paulson or Julianne Moore? That's tough. Because you love... I love both. I think... Julianne probably has a slightly better sense of humor about herself. And I think that... And she has the... She has the experience because she was... 30 Rock, you know, she yeah. was great on 30 Rock. That she uh, had that atrocious that amazing accent. Not, accent. <laughs> not a great dialect coach on set. But I think beyond that, I think she was able to pull off a lot of those jokes. I think that she was very funny on that show. And I'm not sure that I've ever laughed at anything Sarah Paulson has done intentionally. Right. Besides her wig on American Crime oh. Story. Let's see. Ellen Page doing the audiobook for all of Harry Potter or Ellen Page... I'm doing a performance art piece uh, about her life story on repeat. Oh, God. I mean, Harry Potter, I think I could handle. I don't know that she's had a life that's all that interesting I need to hear. But Harry Potter's life, you could listen to that. But I like Ellen Page's voice, I think. (laughs) Me too, I guess. I guess. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess Harry Potter then. Yeah. I just, I think every, as long as every chapter starts with, I'm reading this. Because, because I'm, I'm gay. gay. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you hate more, Chris Hemsworth's fake ponytail or Liam Hemsworth's real mangy beard? Liam, anything Liam. You anything hate that Liam. more? I think anybody who prefers <laughs> Liam over Chris Hemsworth is truly, that is more about 
your dislike of Chris Hemsworth. So it's still about Chris Hemsworth and not about Liam. Because what has Liam given us? He's given us a perfectly adequate gale in the Hunger Games. Right. He's thrown Miley Cyrus into the ocean a few times. Other than that, like, who is, what is, why? Yeah. I don't know what Miley masterpiece this came from, but there's a, a scene where she's, like, hosing him off. Oh, gosh. That I feel like I see. And it, they definitely didn't use water. It was just, like, baby oil. Because <laughs> he's the shiniest man I've ever seen. But that is the one good thing that Liam Hemsworth has There's given us. There's a third Hemsworth brother, too. There right? is. He's on Westworld. Oh, I didn't know that's where he, they put him. It's a it's an immigration it's an immigration program. You come to us this country as a Hemsworth, and we place you somewhere. Right, right. Okay, we have just greenlit the biopic (laughs) of uh, Kathy Bates. Who gets to play her? Anne Dowd or Margot Martindale? Wow. I mean, truly, just throw a fucking dart. I guess (laughs) I. This feels un. I guess it's so hard. I'm going to say Anne only because I just finished a binge of the entire Leftovers. And as far as I'm concerned, I haven't seen a stitch of The Handmaid's Tale because I feel like I should watch it with a woman in the room. Otherwise, it feels wrong. Um, And I don't have one available to watch with me yet. Um, But I think Anne's win for me is mostly a win, a retroactive win for The Leftovers, not for... Handmaid's Tale and I just I think she's brilliant yeah I, think, I honestly she deserves an Emmy for her huge. Uh, for, for her accepting yes. the Emmy just her, her the, just the dramatics of her standing up and and like being shocked I, I was shocked that she won to I be tweeted oh my god I tweeted this thing out that like vaguely it was a joke about and it vaguely sort of placed Margot Martindale and Anne Dowd as like rivals in this like fake narrative that I had tweeted out it's truly not a string of tweets just one single tweet and I got dragged by every <laughs> gay who'd read the Vulture interview where they put Anne Dowd and Margot Martindale in a room together and made them talk to each other even though they'd only met once before I um, hadn't seen that read, I, it's I, actually I, very good but people were like actually they're friends and I was like actually this was a fucking joke like get <laughs> off my back <laughs> uh yeah okay final one sean spicer white house sean spicer <laughs> or emmy sean spicer are you f- i this is an Im- <sighs> i actually this question is is wrong because they're both the same sean yeah spicer, exactly and that's, and the, that's problem. the problem um i guess white house sean spicer because we all at least were on the same page yeah about white house sean spicer apparently some of us didn't get the memo i cannot believe i cannot believe it yeah he hasn't it would be one thing if he like came out and was like they were holding my family hostage i had no choice i'm so sorry i didn't believe anything (laughs) i said right but it it's so gross i think i think that that's all we have for (laughs) who do you hate more um where can people find you and your work uh all the handles are i hate joel kim uh, got in there Perfect. before the haters could <laughs> and uh, yeah that's where they can find it watch my special on October 20th I have my first album comes out two weeks after that on nice. um, November 3rd called Model Minority awesome um, that I'm really excited about you'll be able to stream it for pennies on Spotify <laughs> or more preferably buy it on iTunes <laughs> right. um, 
But yeah, that's perfect. Where you can find. Well, me. congratulations on everything. Thank I'm you. so excited. I'm such a fan. I am such a fan. Thank you. Oh my god. And thank you for joining us. And hopefully, we'll have you back someday. This has been a blast. I can't wait. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, we're at the end of the show, and it's time, as always, for our chasers. The good thing at the end of the week that makes all the bad stuff go down. Barry, do you have a chaser? I have a couple chasers, but they're combined. I'll make it short. Basically, shout out to Oregon and Washington where I just spent my vacation. There's legal recreational weed there. It's very fun to walk into a store and be like, I would like one weed, please. One weed. What? And they're like, here is the strongest weed in all the land. And I'm like, holy shit. Great. And then also Bojack Horseman and Broad City are back. And the combination of those three things, that's a trifecta of sadness and laughs and being high. All the TV is back. All the TV is back. Really, my chase is just a TV. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Matt? What's your chaser for the week? My chaser this week is on theme. I'm going to keep it simple. Motherfucking cake. I'm a big proponent of ordering just a single piece of cake delivery. That shit is great. It's like your very own birthday whenever you decide. Shout out to Cake for getting me through life, for getting me through this episode, for getting us through the hell that is reality. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Unhappy Hour. You can head to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get this show. Hit subscribe, then rate us, review us, leave us a nice review so I feel good about myself. You can also find us on Spotify and Stitcher and all the places where podcasts are. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Media. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Josh Gwynn, and me, Matt Bellisai. Special thanks to Max Linsky and Jess Hackle. And this week's sponsor, the Everything is Awful book and tour. Music by Hansdale Sue. You can find me on all the social medias at Matt Bellisai. That's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. Patty cake, patty cake. <laughs>